Bibles tonight, and I trust that you do. And if you're listening at home, if you'll open yours as well, if you'll go to the book of Ephesians with me tonight, Ephesians chapter 5. And we want to find our place in verse 23, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. The text for uh, the topic of strengthening our homes comes from the book of Psalm, Psalm 11 and verse 3, and it says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I'll tell you, you know, <clears throat> that our homes really are the foundation of our country and of our church. And uh, if the homes, you know, somebody says, you know, as the homes go or as the church goes, so goes the nation. <clears throat> and what an important role they play in, uh, in, the, in the formation of the values and customs, even traditions of our nation and country. And uh, I've been reading and listening to the book uh, 1776 by David McCullough. And uh, it's an interesting book and it's about the years right up into uh, 1776 and it details about George Washington, his generals and lieutenants and everybody and the state of the, of the homes sometimes is mentioned in there and what conditions were like and what churches were like in the hour. And gosh, we, we have digressed so far from that. So far from principles of uh, uprightness and the like. I mean, even amongst people who didn't claim to be Christians still had a sense of decency about them, some uh, morality about them. I, I spoke to someone this past week and I said, you know, just because something is legal doesn't make it moral or ethical. And, uh, and so it matters. It matters what a country does. And it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we want Him to uh, continue to reign in our land and in our nation, in our churches, in that, in then in that separate unit, our homes, and uh, that's why in that very first lesson that we looked at, the first message was about doing a little self-test and looking at your home. Is it really a Christ-centered home, and so forth? Last week we uh, we started this about what marriage as it was meant to be marriage as it was meant to be, and there'll be a, a parts one, two, and three, and so forth as we go through this. But last week I stressed the fact that it is a covenant between you and your wife and God that you have made together. It's a covenant. It's like a partnership. It's an agreement that each of you have entered into willfully and not forcefully, not under duress, meaning that someone has compelled you to do this in fear of your life or whatever, and, uh, and that you've done so willingly and voluntarily, and if you will, I think even with a ready mind. Because entering into marriage is something that is not done lightly or carelessly. Because God intended it to be a lifetime proposition. And so you have to look at it that way. So marriage is a covenant. It also requires cultivation. We said, in other words, you've got to work it. You've got to look at it. It's, you know, you've got to be invest into it. And I'm going to say, you know, if you're only investing, somebody said, well, marriage is a 50-50 proposition. And I say again to you, that is untrue. It takes 100% and 100%. If you're only giving 50 to the relationship, where's the other 50 going? And so it requires 100% from both parties and sometimes 110 when the other one's only given 90. Amen requires that and it has to have some cultivation and you got to be you got to be have a good guardianship over it the two of you and then lastly i had said it it, it is a commitment and uh, 
And each person commits themselves to the other in those vows. Each person commits themselves then to the well-being of the union that you have together. And then in doing so, the last part of that was that each person commits themselves to their individual roles as husbands and wives. And that's what we want to start in on tonight. And I ask you to go to Ephesians 5 with me. And we're going to start with husbands. And uh, and we will get to the ladies, I promise. Men, we will get to the ladies. And, uh, and so just bear with me on that. And so notice what it says in verse 23. Ephesians 5 and verse 23. It says, for the husband is the head of the, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Gave himself for it. One of the things as we look at this role that this is a command given to us as husbands that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Not giving himself to it, but gave himself for it. Like that passage, no greater love hath a man than this, than a man lay down his life, what? For his friends. And so the Lord Jesus purchased the church, if you will, with his own blood. And so he gave himself for it. And so men, one of the things that, that you and I are to provide as husbands, we are to provide the love, if you will. They are to love. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now we say that, we quote it, we read it. And uh, I mean, that, that it just seems to go by so fast. There's not many words in the verse. But man, what, what, uh, what responsibility is found in those few words? What a challenge and charge is laid at our feet as husbands to love the church. What an awesome challenge to, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. I mean, we, we heard tonight in prayer that the Lord Jesus is there interceding for us tonight. All the things that He has done for the church in supplying it and providing for it and washing it and nurturing it and cherishing it and protecting it. I mean, under all those, if you will, under all those umbrellas. And that word love is mentioned. Well, let me say to you tonight that love is more than a feeling. As a matter of fact, I think it's an action word. It's, it is a verb, if you will. They are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And so it is an action word for God so loved that what? That he gave. It compelled him to do something. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so men, we are to love our wives. And, and I have asked the question before in teaching this in a Sunday school hour. You know, how do you manifest that? And some said, well, you know, uh, I talk with her or I hold her hand or, you know, I, uh, I send her little notes or whatever. I, we communicate and the like. And I say that, yes, all those things are true. All those things are little manifestations, if you will, kind of like a diamond. Every time you turn it, there's another facet and it reflects back a little bit of light. So too, if you will, in that gem of love that you have for her. But, but as I look here tonight, what I see though is that one of the ways that you and I can, can, can communicate and can, if you will, demonstrate our love for our wives is by providing some stability. Man, we need to demonstrate stability in our homes. 
What do you mean? What do you need? What I mean by that, brethren, is she's counting on that to have stability in her home, meaning that you and I are to provide some things. We're to provide that emotional stability that they must have. In other words, willing to talk about problems. I know sometimes when you when you've worked hard all day and you and you come home and you just want to come home and be refreshed, enjoy a good meal, maybe spend a little time with your kids and and, and the like and just enjoy your evening. Maybe you've got a little something that you are working on, maybe out in a shop or a shed or in your garage or on the porch or whatever, whatever little thing that you do sometimes to take your mind off of the events of the day that you just want to be able to clear your mind and be able to start fresh and anew the next day. A part of that is providing stability to your wife, emotional stability where you get involved in some things in the home, besides it just being a place for you to come and put your feet up. Even though even though you've worked hard during the day, don't forget, brethren, that she has worked hard during the day. You know, some men have found out firsthand during all this lockup and, and the like what home life is really like when they've seen what, what goes on in the daily routine now that they have been added to the transaction. Now that they've had an opportunity to see, you know, some of the mundane things that, that, that take place every day. And maybe they've even scratched their head and said, you mean you got to do that every day? Is it like this every day here at the house? Is it ever going to change? I wonder how long this, this shut-in is going to last. I wonder when my job's going to be available again. And, uh, and the like. And so, but one of the things that they must have from us, brethren, they must have that emotional stability. That's why when we said that, you know, during those vows or when the Lord Jesus said there in Matthew 19, He said one of the things, He said, Therefore shall a man leave father and mother and cleave. You leave and cleave. And what you're doing is you're leaving emotionally. That means the problems that the two of you all are going to have, and let me just, let me just cut to the chase here. Yes, you are going to have problems. You take two people from two different backgrounds, two different genders. Maybe they've been reared differently. They might even be different culturally. And you bring them together under one roof and, uh, and you're gonna, and you're gonna get on with making a living and, and have life and so forth. There's going to be some conflicts sometimes. There's going to be misunderstandings. Uh, I'm often reminded about this. A preacher friend, when they went to, they were from Mississippi and, uh, he and his wife and he had taken a church here in Louisiana, not far from where I was pastoring. And uh, you know how they want to have a fellowship when the new preacher comes. And uh, and so they had kind of a welcoming fellowship and so forth for he and his wife. And uh, the ladies were in the kitchen after they'd served all the food and so forth. And so uh, these were Cajun ladies. And so they said to this pastor's wife, said, would you pass the broom? And so uh, she just went over, you know, passed the broom. She just went over and grabbed the broom out of the closet. And she handed it to the lady that said, would you pass the broom? Boy, that was the wrong thing to do. What that word, would you pass the broom? That was Cajun, if you will, in their culture. Would you sweep the floor? And it made it look like she was just too, she was just too uppity or whatever to actually sweep the floor in the fellowship hall where the kitchen was. It didn't start things off very well for that couple. That's just a lack of communication. Isn't it true, men, sometimes you say dog, and by the time it gets to them, it, in their mind it comes out like cat? You know that's so. And, uh, and so. and so one of the things, brethren, we, in other words, to provide that emotional stability that they have to have, that when something is going on or something is not right, that you take the time to communicate with them to do something to solve their problems. 
And I'm going to tell you, if you didn't, if you don't enjoy solving problems, don't get married. And, I, and it's not to be humorous. I'm just trying to tell you, you know, it, it, there's going to be problems. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7 that they, some of them are going to have trouble in their flesh. But he didn't say, he wasn't forbidding them from getting married. He just wanted you to know what you were getting into. And that's why you need to have some good counsel and so forth before you get married. That some of these things are not a shock and a surprise to you. But she's got to have some, she's got to have some emotional stability. She's got to have financial stability. Brethren, uh, I mean, that's why God said, you know, if a man won't work, neither should he eat. And, and for a man that doesn't do that, if he doesn't take care of his own, of his own he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Brethren, you, you know, we started with husbands because it says right there in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. Things rise and fall on leadership and God's expecting you to provide leadership for your home. I was doing some research uh, on the internet and I found out that this came back in 2018 about the modern husband and so forth and the like. You know, a lot of husbands, because a lot more women are working outside the home, some of these men don't actually know what to do with their time and they are becoming more passive than what they have a tendency to become anyway. Some of them are frustrated. You know, about 40% of them, their wives make more money than they do when they're working. And so my, my point is, is that there's already a tendency that's there and men, you can't be passive. You gotta be deliberate about this. I mean, Adam had a job before he got married. His job was to dress and keep the garden. And so it requires of you, if you want to have a family, if you want to have a future, then brethren, you're going to have to put your hand to the plow and be a good provider. Uh, you know, uh, I remember, you know, when my, when my daughter was younger and we were praying about, you know, we were praying for a mate for her uh, from a teenager on or from a little girl on. Well, I prayed about those things. I'm sure her mother prayed about those things. You know, and one of the things that was in my mind was that, you know, that she was going to marry a preacher or she's going to marry a missionary or whatever. I had all that stuff at the back of my mind. And, uh, and so, uh, but as I, as I got through time, as I, as she grew older and I grew in the Lord and so forth, I found out, you know what, that wasn't the most important thing. I was looking for a man that, that went to work every day. I was looking for a man that finished what he started. I wanted a husband for her that, that wasn't full of pride, that you, that could be spoken with. I, I, when, when Doug was dating, courting Christie or whatever, how, whatever word you want to put on there, I called his pastor and I said, I want to know what kind of man is he? Has he got a bad temper? Have you ever had to bail him out? Is he, I mean, does he get in trouble? I, I just wanted to know. I was looking for a little character reference. That's what the scripture says, brethren, you and I are to make ourselves, make some things fit first out in the field and then come back and build your house. Meaning that having a good work ethic, brethren, you need to have that. And girls, if you're looking, if you're here tonight and you're looking or whatever, I know the teens are next door, they might get to listen to this, but if you're looking, thinking about a potential mate somewhere down the road, he ought to know how to work. He ought to have a job, have a skill. Either know how to use his head or his hands or both. Men, we gotta provide that financial stability. You gotta do that. And also means, if we're gonna provide stability for them, it also means spiritual stability. Brethren, she's looking for somebody that's gonna pray about the decisions that have to be made. You gotta understand, you know, uh, you, you have to understand that when when, you know, when it's just you, it's one thing, but when you've got people following you in the bus, 
When you make a bad decision, the family suffers. When you make a right decision, the family's blessed. And so, brethren, how, how we've got to look at things like that. And so she's looking for some leadership, if you will, in that area. Some spiritual stability. That there's a desire in your heart to do the will of God. That that is so important to you as a man and as a husband, as a potential father one day. That doing the will of God is paramount in your life. And that your relationship with Him is so important. And that you cultivate that as well. Listen, these are the things... What are the things, brethren? Just the fact that 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 uh, maybe maybe where you work there are females that are present. I mean, they're looking for someone. You got to understand, they're looking for someone who'll be that leader who shows they come to work every day and they get their job done and they do those things because a lot of times that's not being done out there in the world anymore. That's why there are so many single mother homes, single parent homes. It's because these things are lacking today in, the, in, in many homes. And it ought not to be so for us as believers. So brethren, she's got to have some stability. And it, it's, it's closely aligned to this next thing that I'm talking about. Is she's got to have some security. She needs stability in her home, but she also has to have some security in her heart. Security about what, brother Ed? Listen. One of the things, if you don't provide her with some security, she will provide her own. That's why so many of these single mother, or if you will, these, these single woman homes, if you will, that have children and so forth, why they manage and they survive is because when, when they've got a child or whatever, they're going to take care of themselves and they're going to look after that child. Most of them will. I know that things are not 100% that way these days. But oftentimes they are. And so, fellas, we've got to provide that security in her heart. And what I simply mean by that is that there is no other female on the planet that can meet your needs the way that she does. And she needs to know that. So that means, you know, you don't give other little things to be done. You don't give it to somebody else to do. Fellas, you don't say, you know, you, you know, you don't like like if there was something that needed to be done with your clothes or your shirt or whatever. Well, I'll just take that to so and so, or my sister can do that or what over there. You're going to wind up hurting your wife because she, in her mind, that idea of they are no longer twain but one. That means in her mind that she is there to, if you will, to be that helpmeet for you. She's there to help nourish you and to cherish you and to see you go forward. And she's committed to that oneness with you. And when you give those jobs to somebody else, well, then what am I here for? And you certainly don't compare her cooking to your mother's. That, that's a dumb thing to do. <laughs> don't do that. Well, this is good, but boy, it's not like mama's. Good night. Brother, you're hurt too high for crutches. Don't don't do that. All right. Don't compare don't compare her cooking to your mother's cooking or whatever. Listen, you know, my mom was a good cook, but one of the things I'll just say about about Debbie, man, that girl could cook at eighteen. She could cook, and I, it impressed my mother that everything could come off off of the stove and be on the table at the same time. And she would talk to me about that. How does she do that? How does she know to do it? I said, well, she's, you know, she's got nieces and nephews who come from a large family, and that's how they get things done and so forth around there. And so that impressed my mom. But, uh, but I, I mean, I enjoyed her cooking and learned to eat some things that we didn't eat at home and the like. And, uh, you know, and the, the bottom line is I didn't want to marry my mother. I wanted a wife. 
And I didn't marry a baby. I married a woman. And, uh, and I thank God for her. That's the benefit. You know, men want the benefits of marriage without the responsibilities oftentimes. And so, brethren, you and I have got to provide that security in her heart that she is the only female on the planet that can meet the needs that you have. She wants to meet those needs. She desires to do that, if you will, to help assure you in your heart that she's in this together with you. And so... Uh, allow her, allow her those, those times. So brethren, we've got to know how to love our wives, if you will. They need that emotional stability. They need that financial stability where you are committed to working, where you are committed to that bringing a paycheck home. You know, you're, you're not, uh, you're not just thinking about yourself and so forth, but you're thinking about your family now that there are two of you together. And then she needs that spiritual, if you will, that spiritual stability. And then now security in her heart that you must provide for her. And if you want your home to flourish. And then in her husband, there's got to be a sense of worth. Security in her home, correction, stability in her home, security in her heart, and then a sense of worth in her husband. What do you what, what do you mean by that, brother? Ed? A sense of worth. To put it plainly, it just simply means that you need to show her periodically that you need her. She needs to know that. She wants to meet that need. Just as I had said about the security part, but that you needed a wife. That you needed her. Listen, God said it was not good for man to be alone. And he meant that. He saw that it was not good for man to be alone. And God has sent you and help that is meet for you, that is suitable for you, fitted for you, to there to complete you, to make a person out of you, if you will, to complement your life. And so she needs to know that she has a role. And in doing so, everybody needs some encouragement. That's where we as men, brethren, you've got to learn how to show some appreciation for some things. You can't overlook the thank you for this or, boy, that was really good or I appreciate that, that you know, every time I go to the closet and, you know, that my clothes are in there or they're ironed or they're folded or put away or what, whatever those, some of those menial tasks that we just kind of take for granted. We pull the drawer open, we slide back the door on the closet, we get stuff out and we don't think about it a lot of times. We're just so accustomed to having it. I mean, you think about the job that you're in. Do you want your boss just to take you for granted as an employee? Or do you like a little word of encouragement? Do you like a word of cheer every now and then? Or a thank you for a job well done? I mean, some, maybe some of you where you work, you get a tip or whatever. That's, that's a blessing when it's that way. That's just a little, some of those handfuls on purpose, if you will, from the Lord. Just an encouragement along the way. And your wife needs that from you. She needs that appreciation. And you need to teach your children that. To show her that they need her as well. Teach them how to say thank you. Man, that was a great meal, Mom, or whatever. Or I appreciate this, or thank you for what you do. Little things like that go a long way. And, uh, I mean, go with me to, go with me to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. Right there in the middle of your Bible, you'll come to the book of Psalms. If you'll turn right, you'll come to the book of Proverbs. And look in Proverbs 31. 
And this is the story, if you will, the, the accounting uh, the, about the virtuous woman. And, uh, and notice, notice what it says here in verse 28. Proverbs 31, look in verse 28. 28. It says, Her children arise up and calleth her blessed. Her husband also, and he what? He praiseth her. Well, where did the kids learn to do that? The kids learned to do that from dad. Uh, brethren, you know, if, if, uh, if you talk to her like you think she's stupid, that's how the kids are going to talk to her. If you speak disrespectfully to her, that's how the children are going to do. I mean, it, it works that way. If you speak that way about authority outside the home, that's how they're going to be because they're going to pick that up from you. If you speak ill about the teacher, they're going to think ill about the teacher. Amen. It's how it works. And the same thing is true, uh, same thing is true about your wife. Brethren, you and I, we've got to learn that to demonstrate some love for them in that sense of worth, just like these, like these children, they rose up and they called her blessed. They acknowledged some things that she was doing for them in their lives. Brethren, that's what you and I need to do, if you will. And I think I don't think you have to do it every time you turn around because then it loses its impact. It loses its value. It cheapens it sometimes. But but I you know, and and you know, and different people have different views, and you're entitled to those about, you know, are you going to be regulated by the holidays? In other words, if if on Valentine's Day is that the only time maybe that you that uh, you give your wife maybe a flower or you get her a corsage or whatever it might be, or or on other days is Mother's Day, if you will, the only day that you maybe you treat her to something. I mean, you know, or, 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 or in other words, are you moved by the calendar, or do you show those things, if you will? throughout the course of the year. And I, su- I submit to you that there ought to be some of that throughout the course of the year, that you appreciate those things. I mean, just like going on vacation, some little thing that you think about going on vacation, you look forward to doing that, but it's not really a vacation for her if, if she's got to go and do in some other place what she does at the house. You understand? That's not really vacation. That's just going and doing someplace what I do every day. It's vacation for us, yeah, because we're not driving nails or trucks or whatever it might be or doing what we normally do. But somebody's still got to put the food on the table. Somebody's still got to get the laundry done. Somebody's still got to fold the clothes. I mean, you follow what I'm saying? Vacation should be vacation for her as well. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I appreciate that. I got a hearty amen if you didn't hear that out there in Cyberland. But uh, but men, we're to demonstrate these things. Demonstrate them, and you know, and it shouldn't be hard to do. You shouldn't have to be able. You shouldn't have to work it up. You understand? It ought to be as natural as being grateful for the things that your parents provided for you at home, being thankful for those things, having that kind of a thankful heart. What a difference it makes! So, brethren, we as husbands, we are to love our wives. It is the thing when I counsel couples. I ask the wife, what is, or I ask the husband, what is it you think that she needs from you? And they say, well, she needs protection. And I say, yes, that's true. And, and uh, she needs my support. And I say, yes, that's true. And, uh, she needs, and they, it's amazing how they, they bounce all around and, and they go, and, and I look and I say, that's not really what I'm looking for. It's just in a word. What are you looking for? And I said, and they go, well, well what is it? And I say, well, they need you to love them. Oh, oh. I don't, you know, like, like that was a foreign thing. And maybe it is. I don't know. 
But uh, I just know that it needs to be demonstrated. Just like how God demonstrated, not only on Calvary, but hasn't He shown you how much He loves you since the day you got saved? Amen. He has. And, uh, and so, brethren, if we're going to love her like the Lord loved the church, the Lord Jesus gives us some of those handfuls on purpose, gives us some of those words of encouragement, soothes us when we have our fears and the like and our frustrations and gives us grace. And so we need to provide that. I want you to look with me. Look in 1 Corinthians 11 with me. 1 Corinthians 11. Turn back right in your Bible, back to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 11. So men, we are to love our wives. The other thing that we're to do is that we are to lead. And boy, that is seems to be that seems to be a controversial thing these days. And and I don't see why it should be, but it does seem to be the point of controversy these days. Men, you and I, because you are a man, it came with your gender that God expects you to be a leader. Look at this with me. Look, look in 1 Corinthians 11, look in verse 3. <clears throat> Paul, this is a repeat a little bit of what was in Ephesians 5.23, but I want you to see this. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Here Paul says this for the first time. It's repeated in Ephesians. But what he wants again to stress here is that brethren, you and I are to provide leadership. We're to provide leadership in the home. Now listen, there's two things about leadership. On one, There's two ditches that you need to stay out of. One is the fact that leadership can be abusive. That means they want to exercise lordship over things without any responsibility or accountability. And the other one is where leadership is absent. When men are passive, and, and you know, and, and I think sometimes as men we have a tendency to be that way. What is passivity? Passivity is knowing what to do, but you don't do it. You don't do anything about it. You know, one of the things that I, in, in that book, 1776, uh, there was a, it was a big deal. There was a, there was a great siege that was at the city of Boston. And, uh, and the men that were working there for, Washington and so forth. It was a very well moonlit night, but it was a misty spring morning. And there was a little bit of fog there in that Boston being close to the water there. And uh, they were working around a section of Boston called the Dorchester Heights. I don't, I haven't looked that up, but nonetheless. And, uh, and so they were, there was a siege that was taking place. And, uh, and so Washington's men, his troops, they got together, some of those farmers and field hands and cobblers and blacksmiths, and they said, man, we've got to build some bulwarks up there. And so they went up in that misty night in that evening time, and they worked and worked and worked, and uh, they were using tools that made noise, and it was reported by the British troops that they couldn't see them for the mist, but they could hear that things were going on. They reported that to the commander, and the commander just basically ignored it and said, don't, don't worry with it. And when the mist cleared in the morning, after them working all night long, man, they had bulwarks up there, and they, they had made emplacements and battlements and so forth to the place where Howe looked at that and said, man, there's no, there's no way we're going to take the Dorchester Heights now. And they pulled out of Boston. 
because that commander was a slothful man and remained passive when he heard that there was activity taking place. It's amazing what happened in that span. And what was said of how said that they were able to do in 12 hours with these ruffians or whatever as they were thinking about the, the citizens of America. And he said, he's got more done in 12 hours out there in the dark than I've been able to get done with, with uh, professionally trained troops and thousands of them. And couldn't get them motivated. Brethren, we can't afford to be passive about our homes and our marriages. You just can't do it. Uh, because, you know, one of the things what we're talking about here is that you are going to want your wife to come to you when there are problems. You're not going to want her to go to the fellow next door, are you? You're not going to want her to go to somebody else in the church. When I say somebody else, I'm talking about some of the male in the church. And let me say this for you that are here and maybe listening and don't know a lot about us. Listen, brethren, we support your role as the head of your home at East River Baptist Church. We support your role as head of the home. So what that simply means for us is in leadership here that we're not here to be surrogate husbands or dads. We don't take the place of the husbands that are in this church. We don't do that. The book of the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 14 says, if your wife has a question, she's supposed to ask you at home first. And so when I've had women, when I've had some ladies come up and ask me a question, I, my response to them, before I give them an answer, I said, have you asked your husband about this? And sometimes I get a no and I say, well, you need to go out and talk to your husband about it first. Or some of them might say, well, yes, I did, and he told me to come ask you. All right? That's a different That's a different scenario. But nonetheless, we're not here to undermine what you do. We're here to help support you in your role as a husband in your home. And the same thing is true about, you know, we don't have, quote, we've got Brother Dwayne, but we don't necessarily have a youth pastor. We have someone who works with the youth. That's because we think every home came with a youth pastor. That's a dad. Amen. And, uh, and we're here to support what you do, brethren. We're not here to undermine it. There's enough of that that goes on out there. We're not going to do it here. By the grace of God, we're not going to do it here. It has not been our practice. And so men, that, but let me say to you, there's more to leadership than just telling people what to do. The Bible teaches and talks about servant leadership. Servant leadership. The Lord Jesus said, in, 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 uh, go, go with me to Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 10. Look in verse 42 with me. Mark chapter 10. Turn back left. Second book of the New Testament. Matthew, then Mark. Look in chapter 10 with me. The story here behind the passage we're going to read is that as they were walking down uh, the road... The, these men came up to, I believe it was James and John, came up to the Lord Jesus and they said, we, 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 have, uh, we have a question for you, something we would like to know. And, uh, and basically they, they wanted to know and said, listen, when, uh, when you come into your kingdom, can we, can we sit at your right hand and, and your left and, uh, and be beside you and so forth? And he said, man, and so the Lord gives them an answer about... I, you know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of? And so forth. There were many things that they were going to have to go through and the like. 
And he said, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it should be given to them for whom it is prepared. And uh, and so now the other ten that are walking with them, they overhear this conversation now, and they get a little upset. Like, what are these guys trying to do? They're trying to cut us off, you know. They're trying to they're trying to weed us out a little bit. These guys want to be in the in the top place. And notice what it says in verse forty two is where I want to pick it up. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto him, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Minister. Verse 44, And whosoever you of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. It is a servant leadership. And that is what is to be practiced. in brethren, if we're going to model, model after our Lord and how He loved the church... He took upon him the what? The form of a servant and made himself of no reputation. Brethren, servant leadership simply means that you put other people ahead of your personal ambition and power. That's what it means. It means that those in your that are in relationship with you are more important than you. Sometimes than personal conveniences. Sometimes than... Uh, maybe having the best of something if they have a need. Listen, you know, it's wonderful to have kids, and I think they're a blessing from God. They're the heritage of the Lord. But, you know, you got to put shoes on them, and they got to go to the dentist, and they've got to go to the doctor. And if you're not prepared to do that, you're going to have a problem. You know, there was a time when there was no CPS. Where did all that come from? It came from parents that weren't taking care of their kids. So somebody else has to step up. My point is, is that brethren, you know, you and I, servant leadership, it means that looking after others around us in our home might be more important than our personal wants or desires. That's what servant leadership does. I mean, just like, if you will, a sergeant in the military, he looked after the, everybody that was in his squad. That NCO looked after them, that they were important. He was willing to do some things and do without some things so that they wouldn't have to do without. You know, my dad, I'm not certain that my dad was a Christian, but I can remember, man, if there would be an extra piece of meat or whatever on the table, my dad wouldn't eat the last of it. He wouldn't. He'd say, divide that with the kids or whatever. My dad just wouldn't do that. Uh, he, he, was ju- he was just that way. I mean, they grew up, you know, depression times, and he had a lot of brothers. They knew what it was like to do without, and just for supper was just a bowl of clabbered milk. That's what they would have sometimes. So doing without, and he was willing to do without that we might have. Brethren, that's what servant leadership is, and that carries over into a lot of other things. That that uh, m- maybe your wife needs a new dress before you need a new scope. Maybe she needs a meal out with you more than you need another box of ammunition. You haven't shot up the last boxes that you got. You follow what I'm saying? It just means caring about those and considering those that you're leading. Because the real test of leadership is you've got to turn around and look and see who's following. And so, brethren, we're to lead. So how are we to lead? I'm just going to take a couple more minutes here. How are we to lead? I'm almost done for the night. 
How are we to, well, we are to lead prayerfully, brethren. We are to lead prayerfully. Jeremiah said in chapter 10 and verse 23, he said, it's not in man to direct his own steps. And the man that trusts in his own heart, the writer of Proverbs said, is a fool. Jeremiah also said that our, heart, our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And so, brethren, if we're going to lead our families, you've got to have a prayer life. You've got to spend some time with God on your face before God and get some direction in your life and cultivate that relationship because your relationship in this direction is going to have a direct bearing on the relationship you have with your wife in how you speak to her and how you love her and how you care for her. How you show mercy for failure. How you give her grace when she's frustrated. How you help her to overcome some things. She's going to deal with all that stuff. It comes in daily life. And just wait till you have to go out of town. Then it seems like everything rips or tears or breaks when you're not around. Some of you have been married long enough, you know that's so. Or, or we get a lot of rain and it floods. Things that happen. But you've got to lead prayerfully, men. That means you've got to take some time to get your face before God and face God, listen to the Word of God and read the Word of God and spend time in prayer talking to God about the day about, and about, about your wife and about her needs and, and the things that she's going to face and the things that you're going to face. It means it's just getting some direction for the day. God can show you what to do. I mean, because the desire of our hearts ought to be as believers that we are here to glorify God in our body and our spirits, which are His, because we've been bought with a price. I want that for my wife. I want that for my kids and my grandkids. These are things that we pray about. I mean, it's not too soon to pray about a mate for that teenage girl or that teenage boy or whatever. I don't care if they were 10. It's not too soon to start praying over those things. So prayerfully, brethren, and then responsibly, understanding that the decisions that you make, they, they have an effect, they have a ripple effect on everybody else that's following along with you. Bad choices. You know, life is not by chance, it's by choice. It's not destiny, it's the decisions that we make. And you've got to consider people in the decisions that you make. You've got to do that. If you don't, you're neglecting because what, you're tell, what you told God and her father when you got married is that you were going to take care of her. You may not have everything that he had at the time when she got married. He didn't have all that stuff when he got married. But he acquired it over time. She's willing to put up with that. She's willing. She should be willing to, to be weighed on those things. It's just the two of you starting out. Gosh, man, I, we had a place that was so small... If you wanted to change your mind, you had to go outside to do it. We lived in a quadruplex. It had jealousy windows. Remember them windows, baby? You crank them out. They're not jealousy windows because there wasn't much to be jealous over. They were they're called jealousy windows in Florida. And we lived on a place. We lived on a place called Davis Island. We thought that was rather upscale. We lived in a quadruplex. That was a duplex. That they said, man, we can make more money if we cut all those in half. And uh, I mean, we had a red, we had a red and black military footlocker. That was our coffee table, and there was a couch. It had a three burner stove and an old timey refrigerator. And at night, there was a plant or something across the water there in Davis Island. Davis Island is right there in Tampa, if you don't know. And uh, 
and right there, and we would wake up in the morning, and man, we would have grit in our teeth because them smokestacks from that plant or power company would, the coal dust or whatever come down and wake up, man, you didn't have to brush your teeth. You just rubbed them in the morning. You were good to go. But that was the fun of it all. That was the fun of it all. Responsibly, though, man, you got to consider her. You know, life. You know, missionaries are this way. I know this from as having been a missionary and and watching other missionaries. Man, when we get the call to go, buddy, I mean, it's like gung ho, son. I mean, we are. You know, the old saying, "Going to charge hell with a squirt gun" and all that kind of stuff. It's an adventure for us. Man, we're going to be in New Guinea. We're going to be walking and burning and seeing all this. You know, and for them, it's not an adventure. It's like, man, what are we going to live in? What, where are we going to stay? Uh, how are the kids going to get to school? Uh, what if we get sick? What if you die? What am I going to do? How am I going to get you home? You talk to the missionaries in New Guinea, they tell you, say, Brother Ed, you're not going to die here. That's where you're going to be buried. I'm not going to send you home. That's where you're going to be. Responsibly. Accountably. Men, you've got to lead with some accountability. You owe that to your wife. That you are accountable. I'm the head of my home. I understand all that. But it doesn't mean that you have the authority to be a bully. God didn't call you to be a drill sergeant. He called you to be a husband. A husband. A man who loves his wife. Accountably. If she asks you about where you've been, she's not snooping. Just second. Amen, Brother Ed. Thank you, sister. She's not snooping. You shouldn't think about it that way. You know, it should be, it just should simply be, it just should simply be that maybe she cares about what your day was like. Now, I don't think that you have to pass an inquisition. You know, and be interrogated on every move of everything that takes place. But it shouldn't offend you to answer a question. Women have got questions, brethren. They just have, they do. You can say, amen, brother, there, I, 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 I'm married. I understand they have questions. And, uh, and sometimes we just don't like being pushed on. Well, it doesn't matter. It was Thursday. No, it was Tuesday. It, you know, it doesn't really matter. It happened. It's just how things are. But you know, but if there's been a problem in the past and they want to know where you where you're going, you have forfeited the right to some of that privacy. In other words, she ought to be able to see when I say accountability, she ought to be able to get into your phone. She ought to be able to get into your computer and ought to know your password. Amen. She ought to know she ought to know what you have subscriptions for or whatever. She ought to know where you spend your time. I'll guarantee you, don't you want to know where she spends her time if she's not at the house? You know that you would. So what's good for the goose is also good for the gander. With some accountability, men. And then some provide some leadership with some enthusiasm. Enthusiastically. In other words, that you know that you don't wake up in a different world all the time, that you're not moody all the time, and that you know we got to go up there, got to you know 
I remember asking this question, do the, do the wives know when is not a good time when to ask their husbands a question or to make an inquiry? Some of you that are recently married, you're probably learning that. When is a good time, when is not a good time? Or that you might tell the kids, the kids say, well, we want to ask dad about, oh, this is not a good time. You need to talk to dad after he has eaten. You know, why do you suppose that back there with, uh, with the, with Rebecca and so forth, you know, with Isaac, hey, go get that lamb, go get that venison. I'm going to prepare that goat and so forth. What was she doing? She was greasing the skids, wasn't she? She had learned when was the right time and the right manner and when to do something. Even Abigail knew when to do that with her husband Nabal. Brethren, you just have to look at it as they do, responsibly, accountably. And then with some enthusiasm, enthusiastically, that you're grateful that God's given you a good wife. A prudent wife, the Scripture says, is from the Lord. And a man who's obtained a wife has obtained a good thing. And that's how you have to believe about it. And that's how you have to appreciate about it. And, and, and if you have to, you've got to remind yourself sometimes that your wife is there to, as a blessing to you. That's why the Scripture says in Colossians, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. We'll talk about some of those things we get to the ladies about what makes a man bitter. And ladies, you don't want to do any of those things. But the bottom line is, brethren, that leadership has it's been called upon us. It's incumbent upon us to provide it. Godly leadership. And that you take your role seriously. I'll guarantee you if your boss gave you a project, came up to you and said, listen, you know, I've been watching how you work and, and uh, I see some. I appreciate some things about you and I see how you handle some of the men. Listen, I've got a little project over here and I want to see, I, I would like for you to do that. And if you'll head that up, you know what? You would take that responsibility very seriously. That Why? You know why? Because that appeals to your pride. Well, the boss likes me. You're going to go home and say, honey, guess what? Man, he put me in charge of this thing. He liked me. He saw some leadership things in me and like that. All of a sudden, man, that's going to be very important. And how you carry that out. Well, you know what? The same thing is true. God is looking for you to do in your own home. Is to take that important. To treat it with some importance. And care for her. Because it is a great responsibility. Because I just want to remind you as we close. That one day you're going to have to give an account to God. For how you treated your wife. How you trained your kids. How you looked after her. You'll have to give an account for that. You don't want to be that husband that promised one thing and then did something different. You don't want to be that husband that treats her treacherously. Amen? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and then lead them. Brethren, provide the leadership that they must have and do it with a good heart and a ready mind and a good attitude about it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I sure do thank you for my church family and for these passages from the Word of God encouragement that you give to us as husbands, Lord, on how to love our wives, how to raise our children, how to love our children, and be the men that God would have us to be. Lord, in spite of what the world says or thinks, Father, we know that this is your way, and it's the way that honors you and pleases you. And I pray you'll bless these men in their homes, dear God, as they learn how to take on that role of being a husband. It's more than just being a man. It's more than just giving orders. God, help us to do it with a servant's heart, with a good attitude. I pray you'll bless them now. In Jesus' name.